listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 51 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our guest tonight is an award-winning film director, playwright, novelist, screenwriter, and musician who has created drama, dramas, really, unless he actually did create drama, for the BBC, <laughs> Sci-Fi Channel, and NPR. And if he did create drama for those three companies i would love to hear about that mostly focused on why weren't we invited that's right we we love to help create drama mostly focused on the horror genre do a search for his work on amazon and put simply the volume of his work should keep you busy for a while as a musician he's released he has released dozens of records from pop to noise to film soundtracks and is the founder of phantom soundtracks a company that releases soundtracks to non-existent films which remind, I, first of all, I love that, and I, I can't wait to hear more about that, uh, including the award-winning score for Chrysalis, a.k.a. Battle Apocalypse, which is actually an existent film, so kind of a, a duality there. Darren Callahan, welcome to Cinemental. Thank you for having me be here. I, uh, I, I love the idea of the, of, the, of the Phantom soundtracks, creating soundtracks for films that don't exist. I, I, I really like that. It's like the... Uh... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that was like a cool art project about 10 years ago. I had the idea basically at a bar talking to another person about it. And uh, there was a soundtrack out at that time called Logan's Run 2 that was a fake uh, sequel sure. to Logan's Run. And I thought that was so cool. You can see what the movie's like by the song titles and the artwork, but it's, there's no actual movie. So I uh, started the company and we released uh, half a dozen soundtracks. I, I, was, I composed a few of them. Other composers I liked uh, did scores for it. It never was a great money-making venture, but thank you for asking about it. So uh, let's suffer from consumption. Lay, what'd you watch? That was it. Oh, Sam, do you have one more thing? That was it. That was it. That was it. Okay. Mine's easy. Um, We're continuing to watch the same shows we've been watching. Uh, Getting, moving through Fuller House. Fuller House. Full, full, fuller steam, uh, which we continue to enjoy. And we haven't watched the last installment of this documentary called Murder on Middle Beach, but. All right. uh, I'm waiting for that to finish before I watch it. I think it is. I think all four episodes are up. They are. The fourth one came out Sunday, but it's much longer. It's an hour and a half. Uh, and my, uh, daughter keeps, my daughter keeps telling me that, as she says, this better have a damn resolution or she's going to be upset <laughs> because it's set up very, you know, like you, you really want to know who did it. And, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you hear a little bit in the news like, oh, this documentary revealed who the killer was or whatever. And I didn't hear anything. So it'll be very disappointing if they don't point out who it was. 
That's so. the residual phenomenon of the of the current trend of of uh, true crime entertainment because a lot of it is just telling you um, the case and then and then telling you how the case was resolved. Yeah, like making so you murder do, same thing basically. Yeah, you get you get a, a resolution to it, and then watching like unsolved mysteries, which warns you right at the right at the onset. Yeah. But then you story, but it's got no ending. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, but it's been good so far, so we'll watch. The, we're gonna watch that one later this week. Uh, Mandalorian, still decent, trucking right along. And um, we wanted to start a new show uh, together. Uh, my daughter and I, who watches pretty much everything I do, as long as it's appropriate. And she's been she she was really into a house. She watched the entire show House, and I had ne- I've seen episodes, but never seen the whole thing. But, you know, she kind of alluded to the fact that she wanted to watch a hospital show. So I was debating between my favorite one of all time, which is Sane Elsewhere. But I figured it would be just a little bit probably dated for her. And she, even though it's fantastically written and, and so much fun to watch, I, I opted for uh, ER. So we started watching ER from the beginning. And we've watched about five or six episodes now. And... The fun thing for me about watching it is seeing all these actors who got their break on this show or who guest star on the show yeah. or who have just a little bit part. And that's that's really cool because I don't remember any of those uh, from it being so far back. So we you know, everyone we've watched so far has been really good. That's the nice it's, thing about revisiting a show like that that's that's far enough back that you you know <clears throat> even if you've never rewatched it since to go back and watch it and you see like you said all those faces of people who have gone on to become a lot more famous now but you know at the time you you know I do the same thing all I I used to do, I used to watch Law and Order episodes like all the time and it didn't matter how many that. times I've seen them or knew of the outcome whatever. And there was a lot of Law and Order episodes where you'd be watching, and all of a sudden you'd just be like, "Oh shit, that's what's his face," you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was an episode of Law and Order from like I don't know the eighth or ninth season, and one of the kids on trial is Chadwick Boseman. Wow, amazing! I mean, oh, super man. young Chadwick Boseman, and I was just like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait what? Go back, go back." <laughs> it's um, and, and caught the T'Challa. Other... Yeah, I know yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the other fun thing about, or the thing I noticed about ER is. I mean, right from the get-go, the first season, it, I mean, it's it holds up. It doesn't feel dated. The direction of how frenetic these scenes are and how uh, – I forgot how the show just moves every week. Yeah. You know, you get – things just get thrown in, you know, little storylines that they don't even complete that are just a lesson in, hey, sometimes this kind of person comes in and this is what happens to them. Uh, it, it's it's very well done and and – I guess the producers of the show, I think if I'm not mistaken, John Wells was a producer on, on that show. And yes. Uh, yes. I mean, you can tell that they wanted it to be a certain way and to, they wanted it to, you know, make its mark and last. And that, I think that's, it's just really fun to watch. And I'm, you know, Maya loves it and, and we're already like off and running with it. So I think that's oh, cool. I, I remember that pilot being really good. Yeah. The pilots, two hour pilots, fantastic. And, uh, it's, it's called 24 hours. It's just, uh, you know, just 24 hours in Mark Green's life, the lead character played by Anthony Edwards. And it's great. It's just, it, it feels real. And all the Chicago locations that they shoot when they do an outdoor shoot are great to see. And, uh, you think uh, that shows about Mark Green? What'd you say? 
I said, you think that show's about Mark Green? That first one, it, well, it's about everybody, but it follows him in his 24 hours. Interesting. Why do you, what do you, what do you mean? I think that show is, is solely built around Noah Wiley from the beginning. Oh, no. I think no, the show I, is about him. Yeah, it's about his, yeah, his, yeah, I agree with that. But the, but the, but the first show, it, it, it and it begins oh, with. Okay, I thought you, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the. Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant the actual first, I should say, episode. First episode. Gotcha. Centers around him waking up after sleeping, sleeping in a side room while everything's going on and then him going to, you know, going to sleep at the end of the show. But, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. And uh, uh, John Carter's character is the is the heart of the show for the entire run. What, uh, what else? That's it. That's all I've seen. And uh, besides the two movies for tonight. So is same scene elsewhere streaming somewhere. Uh, it's almost impossible to find. I I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. They released the first season. Hulu, maybe it's possible. I I've never looked for it. I, they released the first season on DVD and then there was a problem with the rights for the other five. And I got it from a boot, uh, some guy on bootleg who had it taped off TV and perfectly transferred to DVD. And that, that's what, that's what I have it on and still do. Um, yeah, it's so all on Hulu. It, it is on Hulu. It's all on Hulu. Okay. I'm going to throw away those DVDs now. If they're worthless. <laughs> and, uh, did I say bootleg? I meant, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I found these. Hey, uh, I, you, Hey, you want to know found something these in a sewer? So the you want to know I bought so, that was so, so what's funny about that is, and Hassan can attest to this back in the old days of the convention world, you used to walk around the convention and see all those guys with those tables full of DVDs set up while yes, they were bootlegs. They technically weren't against the law to sell. If it hadn't been released in your country on DVD yet. Wow. It's interesting. So that's why back in the old days of like comic conventions and stuff, those tables were filled with like all the Japanese anime stuff that had never been brought over to the U.S. There was tables full of uh, Star Blazers and uh, all that stuff from from that era. The old Ultraman episodes, you know, the original Japanese Speed Racer episodes, which are awesome. Um and, you know, all that stuff that you could never get here, you know, and that's why, you know, and, and then as slowly, it was funny, you'd see stuff like on people's, you know, guys would have like full, full sets of all the seasons of $6 million man. Um, but then as soon as it would come out on DVD, it's like, those would have to come off the table. <laughs> it's like, nope, can't sell those anymore. Yeah. Steve, it's funny you mentioned the $6 million man, because on one of the episodes of Fuller House, they had Lee Majors guest star on the episode and it was just out of the blue and i'm just like where did this come from and then the big joke on the show was he they were on a cruise for uh it was it was a 80s cruise so the lead characters on the show thought it was like for 80s music but it was for people in their 80s and whenever he moved around they played the sound effect from six million dollar man oh boy and it was funny the first time not so much the times after that not too much much the other three but uh, yeah, so that's all I've seen. So. All right, uh, Darren, do you want to play along? What, uh, any yeah. any interesting thing you've seen in the last week or so? 
Well, let me just warn you, I don't watch a lot of episodic TV. I actually have a bit of a phobia about episodic TV that the show will get canceled and I'll never know what happened or I'll die and I'll never know what happened. So it, wow. It, or, I'll, or I'll watch all those episodes and then it'll the ending I won't like. And, you know, you hear tales about people watching Lost or something and getting burned. Oh, uh, love it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just... I, one for I one, Darren. Yeah. I, um, I will... Um, Oh, lots of limited series, you know, something like uh, I watched uh, Russian Doll and enjoyed that, okay. but it's like 12 half hour episodes. So I can do that, but I can't do that big long haul commitment. Although I have in my lifetime watched and enjoyed in their entirety, every episode, three shows. One is ER. Uh, I absolutely adored ER. That's a kick-ass show. One was Mad Men, um, which okay. is different than ER, certainly a different pace, but uh but I thought it was beautiful and well done character study in a London Fields kind of way. And uh, L.A. Law. I loved L.A. Law. So uh, only three. Nice. I did uh, last year. I actually watched uh, every episode of Boston Legal because I had never watched it when it was on the first time. And uh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that start to finish. That was a lot of fun. Why? Because I, I had watched I had started watching just kind of at random because I like James Spader. So I had watched I had caught up on like all the early seasons of blacklist and then it was right before the fifth season was released so i watched all four seasons right up to the point and then the fifth came out and watched all those uh and i think now the sixth one is available now to watch so i'm behind a season but so i went from there i just jumped over and went right into boston legal and uh and, and bill shatner of course was just phenomenal playing like this guy who may or may not slowly be losing his mind <laughs> But um, I, I thought that that show was a really fun, a really fun one to kind of put up next to L.A. Law because L.A. Law was L.A. Law was the E.R. of law shows to an extent at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just I, I, I haven't gone back and watched an episode of L.A. Law in a really long time. But it's you know, I get the same kind of for lack of a better term, the same kind of feelings I remember about the characters that in ER that I did, I did an ELA law when I watched those episodes when they were on, you had that core group of characters in the office and every few seasons, you know, one or two would leave and maybe a new one would come in, but that same group of characters and that whole, you know, the ongoing storyline and stuff like that, that was always a fun show. I always remember the trunk slamming with the California license plate. That's the one thing I always remember from that from LA law. One of the most famous yeah. character deaths too on LA law when what's her name fell down the elevator shaft, right? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, can't remember the actor's name. name right now. Yeah. Dr. Yeah, Pulaski from Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, God, I can't remember her name. It's escaping me. But, uh, but yeah, there aren't, there aren't many shows that I've gone back to do full, full watch-throughs and certainly nothing recent. You know, like I've, seen, I've seen all the episodes of Twilight Zone multiple times you know, older stuff, uh, law and order. I think I've seen everything now, but the one show I have the one, the one recent show that I've gone back and watched now three full times, all six seasons, uh, is justified. And it's just, and Hassan, me, Hassan and I share a, a deep love of, of justified. And, uh, it is, it's another show that just start to finish every up, every season, every season in and of itself is great. But when you take the picture of the whole thing as a whole, start to finish, it's just, it's phenomenal. It really is. And, 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 you know, and I didn't even think to bring this up today, Hassan, but that show had a fucking great final episode. 
Yeah, and a great and a great final scene that was it was was, that was completely satisfying to people who watched the show. About it, I'd like to watch that show. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to tell you it was very satisfying. Well, that's kind of talking about it, but okay. You'd rather I say it was crap? Well, no, I'd rather you not say anything, but we're well past that point at this. Yes, we are, aren't we? Oh my god! (laughs) Sorry. So uh, start talking about. uh, Well, I'll let you run. Not in front of the guests. Not in front of the guests. <laughs> I know you told me not to do that in front of the guests. I'm sorry. sorry. But, you know, aside from TV and my statement about TV, I, I have watched some things recently. I'm kind of working my way through the back end of uh, Steven Spielberg movies. I, I hadn't seen anything oh. from Amistad on, so I'm slowly knocking off that later day journeyman type stuff. Nice. I, nothing I found is as good as the gold prior, but they're all – serviceable like i'm i was like hey warhorse isn't bad but even though i wasn't that drawn in or thinking it was great i was like well that was at least better than the preview and then <laughs> oh, i you. watched yeah. uh yeah i watched uh amistad re- recently and i was like okay that was all right uh that was a little bit on the long side but it could have could have lost a, an hour and still got uh, its message across <laughs> long courtroom speeches in there and stuff i'm just like <laughs> okay follow that but generally i was like i watched catch me if you can i dug that one bridge of spies was a little dull i like that performance uh, by the guy who was nominated the guy from chicago seven trial of chicago seven um but anyway uh that aside from like working my way through the back half of the spielberg catalog it's movies i'd already seen so this is like the only new material i've really introduced in the last four or five weeks and uh, what's your favorite spielberg film darren uh Close Encounters, probably. I think that one is is biggest. Like, it, it just feels like a movie that is, uh, to me, not only very personal for him, but it is a huge canvas. I just love it. And it doesn't feel like, like his later movies feel like, well, I'm watching a CGI fake out. I'm watching, a, I don't know if this is real. You watch Close Encounters, you know, that's models and you know, that's Douglas Trumbull special effects. But for some reason, it it just feels warmer. It feels real, uh, and I like the pacing of it, and, and I think it's got a weird structure, and it goes down unexpected little alleys, and, uh, and it's got the radar scene in it, which I think is one of the greatest scenes in the history of film, so I like that one. <laughs> Guys, do we have any applications for co-host that we can send to <laughs> Darren by way of email? I mean... Darren, Darren, would you like to spend uh, uh, four, three or four hours on your Wednesday nights going forward? Uh, <laughs> and dealing with me? <laughs> I mean, he's I just, he's literally said like five of my favorite things ever in the past, like 15 minutes. So. That's funny. That sounds like Latham needs an ally here for some reason. So oh, um, no, well, <laughs> they're on my side a lot. They just, they, they, some of the things you said, we, we, we literally <laughs> talked about that radar scene. When was that yeah. last week or two weeks ago? Uh, it was, uh, that was, that's amazing. if we talked about it on the 30, on the 30 films, or if we talked about it on the last time we did a Spielberg movie. We've never done a Spielberg. Oh, well, we did Jaws. We did Jaws. And that's all we've done, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. So maybe it was the 30, the 30 films, or it could have been on a tangent from another show. We yeah, did. either either way. Either way. But yeah. I know I know. recently it's funny that you brought up the radar scene, because I remember, I remember that coming up in conversation not all that long ago. Such a good yeah, Hassan said he did. Wasn't it you, Hassan, who said that's one of your favorite scenes? Yeah, that's yeah, because that you wanted to be you that was your movie because you wanted to be a, an air traffic. I want to be, a, I want to be a tin pusher. <laughs> that's right, that's just, right. Be, just because. Also, <laughs> you get to talk over people, and everybody seems to still understand you, according to that scene, <laughs> which is fantastic. 
Good reference. That's hysterical. <laughs> All right. So moving on, Darren's guilty pleasure. What have you done to Solange? From 1972, directed by Massimo Delamano, with a running time of 107 minutes. Someone is killing students at a girls' college, and a professor who was found to be having an affair with one of them must help track down the killer once his mistress becomes a victim. Darren, why? What have okay. you done to Solange? <laughs> All right, so let me just preface this by saying... Well, before you start, you're, you're kind of in the clear in this particular situation because it is considered a guilty pleasure. So right. you don't you don't have to defend one hundred percent. There's no defensive position. Yeah, you, you just want to hear why you chose it. Okay, so defending is, it will come later. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, this is a deep cut. Um, I don't uh, think yeah. many people have seen this film. Uh, I had never I heard of it when you chose it. So, if you don't know, there is a um, type of film called a giallo. That's G-I-A-L-L-O, which is the Italian word for yellow. Um, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a series of paperback mystery novels, kind of Agatha Christie, Edgar Wallace type of mystery novel publications in Italy that were very popular, and they had yellow covers. And they were all about salacious things like What Have You Done to Solange is about. Um, and they all had, you know, kind of a hippie twist to them. They all had... Uh, a certain style. They were all shot widescreen. They had a lot of the same actors uh, over and over used because in Rome and other places there weren't that many of a, a film community. So people crossed and everything seemed to be scored by Ennio Morricone. And it was uh, a, a big, happy Italian family. So between uh, 1962, I think, when Blood and Black Lace, uh, I'm sorry, when uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much came out, which is considered the very first giallo film, to um, uh, much later, uh, films like Amar uh, or Amer, A-M-E-R, is a, a kind of a latter-day giallo. Um, there were hundreds of these movies. So I want to just say that there's an A-list of giallo films that you may have heard of. Films like Deep Red and The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and uh, Blood and Black Lace. Now, those are considered like the cream of the crop. And then you kind of get into the B pictures, uh, and um, those, those are um, things like Cat and Nine Tales and uh, uh, The Bloodstained Butterfly and things like that. They're, they're good, but they're not quite at that level of the A-list. Then you get into the C-level. I consider um, <laughs> What Have You Done to Solange a C-level thing, although it's, it's got a lot to offer, and it's, I think it's a really uh, interesting film for reasons we'll talk about. And then you get into the D-list of like Eyeball and stuff like that. They're just like shitty movies. But... <laughs> But the point is, you can get into this um, uh, from 1962 to 1975-ish, oh, yeah. particularly. There are hundreds of these films, and they all have cliches. They all have tropes. The killer always wears black gloves. The victims are usually women. Um, there's lots of sex and nudity, but it's all very European and hippie. Um, the music scores are amazing on all of them. The, the, the soundtracks are some of the best scores you could possibly have. And the quality of the filmmaking, craft-wise, is actually usually really good. They're always usually well-lit and well-shot, and um, they all have outrageous sets and costumes. They're usually about rich people dying. 
And uh, they're usually murder <laughs> mysteries, some some horror, some devil stuff, like All the Colors of the Dark, which I also really, really like. Yep. But um, but even in the Jalo world, What Have You Done to Solange is a deep cut. I came to it very late. I had already seen 50 or 60 different Jalo films before I discovered this one. And for some reason, I just kept coming back to it over and over again. I like the main performers, and it stars uh, uh, Christina Galbo, who's the uh, female student that the teacher is in love with. She's also in Let Sleeping Corpses Lie which is also known as Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. And she's in House That Screamed. And she's wonderful in both. She's a Spanish actress. She's super beautiful and talented and has a real screen presence. So it's really her that kind of hooked me. Um, but then slowly I realized it's actually a really good mystery with good red herrings and a lot of surprises. And Fabio Tessi does a great Sean Connery impression. And it's, I don't know, I just, I just ended up really finding it a guilty pleasure while acknowledging it's probably a C picture in that genre. Um, I still really loved it. And that music's fantastic. Yeah, that was honestly the first thing that, that grabbed me at the beginning of the film as we started. The fact that Ennio Morricone's name was, atta- as, was the music from it. I was just like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, how have I never, I mean, I literally had never heard of this film in any way, shape or form. But once I started digging into it a little bit, uh, I found all sorts of strange connections. Um, let me start off here. Um, and a lot of the, the Giallo directors, uh, there's, a, there's a group of Italian Giallo and horror directors that came out at that time who really built the, a, a big chunk of their 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 film catalog on this on this genre dario argento uh both lamberto and mario baba uh lucio fulci more of a horror definitely more of a horror bent uh on fulci for sure there's a a whole group of those guys and a lot of those guys all work together on each other's films too i mean like you said it was a community of a film of guys that work together and in that and that stretches out as well as 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 i found to to sergio leone because Massimo Delamano was the cinematographer for for a few dollars more and Fistful of Dollars for Sergio Leone, which is you know before he kind of made the shift over to directing himself, uh, and and he was only man- he only managed to direct uh, I don't nine nine or ten films. Uh, he was killed in a car accident in '76, uh, so he died much probably twenty years before he would have uh, stopped making films. I would guess. So unfortunately, that uh, kind of ended that that line of things. What I what I generally find with Giallo stuff, and I've I've seen quite a bit of it because I am a horror guy. I find that a lot of what people consider to be the better ones, a little frustrating for the most part. A lot of them are very much, and I don't know if these are because I've seen American cuts of these, and I haven't seen uncut original versions, but they seem from an editing standpoint, they seem very choppy. You get a lot of sort of vignette storytelling and the scene, and you're supposed to just make the connections. They don't bother with a lot of interstitial interstitial stuff to tie the story together, to lead you through it. They just kind of expect you to extrapolate whatever you need or whatever they think you need to move the story along. And it can be a little frustrating watching them, especially when it's a first time through. I found this one to be the polar opposite of that. At a, at a at an hour and 47 minutes, I felt like there was probably 20 25 minutes of this film that you could lose and you'd have a really tight little picture. I think they spent way too long up front with setting up all of the characters so deeply. I don't, I don't think it was necessary. The movie doesn't really start to move, I don't think until what what's the, what it ends up being the third murder. 
Um, at that point, the movie turns and kind of be, it's almost becomes a different picture. It's, it's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of split into two different halves and it's, there's agree, a, yeah. and there's a turning point right in the middle and it's very obvious. I think it's funny that the, the, the killer uses a situation that in most modern filmmaking, he uses it to try and set up the protagonist to be thought of as the killer. And I think in most modern films, there would be a bigger chunk in the middle of the film where they have to try and figure out that he's actually not the killer and they don't chase him. Where in this, they figure it out in about four seconds. And there's not, there's not even a question of them even thinking he's the killer. And he just becomes then sort of for lack of a better word, the lead detective on, you know, this particular case working with the police. Cause they like reveal that he didn't even sleep with, um, with the girl. Right. So, right. So like that kind of just takes the edge right off of his, any, any, his potential guilt almost right right at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's okay. I find that to be be one of the more interesting things about this in, in a shallow format, because you know, many films would have gone down the route you're expecting. And here, um, the cop is the main detective, uh, is actually, he gets it. Um, he's like, you know, this guy did a wrong thing. He had an affair with a student. And does it matter that he actually did or didn't sleep with her? He doesn't care that much, but of course it matters to the wife and he does that. But, um, and it, of course matters as a crime because he knows that too. But he, um, uh, he realizes, because he's a, a better detective than you'd see in most of these type of films, this isn't our guy, but I could use this guy to help find the guy. Yeah, um, which I think is uh, something I don't see in Jallos very often, and uh, kind of is good because uh, Fabio Testi, who plays the the main uh, prof- professor, they do paint him to be the bad guy, and he turns out to be at the end a faithful husband who solves the murder, and um, uh, <laughs> has has some guilt about it, and that's that's kind of an interesting little arc for for a, a B picture, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I wasn't quite expecting it to have that much legitimacy. Now, I, I slightly disagree that the second half, I think the second half lags a little bit. I think there's too many clues. Uh, mm. at the end. They try to pile in, you know, the textbook and the pins and the letter and, uh, <laughs> and the priest and the, the, the guy who saw him. I, I feel like it gets a little plot muddled in the second half. I kind of like the earlier half better. And uh, just so you know, as we talk about it in Giallo films, the fact that it makes any fucking sense at all is a miracle. Because most, <laughs> most of these Jalo films, it's inconsequential. It's the style and the murder set pieces, <laughs> the music, and who cares what's going on? The script is almost secondary, although there's some with some very good scripts. But yeah, it's it's really not about plot, and in this case, it really does have a plot you can follow, which is right. Amazing. Yeah, it, it was it's strangely straightforward and very uh, very meticulous in his movement through the film. I mean, they, they show the guy stalking, they show the guys, you know, making calls, they show the guy, you know, then, and then when he shows up to do it, you know exactly why he's there, you know what he's going to do. And, you know, everything's, everything was right there. Everything was right there for you. So it was, it was, it was strange to say the least, um, knowing this to be lumped in with those sorts of films and, and it be so coherent, like you said. Besides that, uh, the fact that this movie is called, what have you done to Solange? And that the fact is you're two thirds of the way through the film before you realize that there is a character in the film named Solange. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 90, 90 minutes in. Yeah. And then, uh, and then to then, you know, she then wanders into the picture and we, 
we are very, very quickly drawn to the end of the film where then everything, obviously the mystery comes to light yeah. and we get the whole picture. I, I just, again, I, you know, I kept, I kept thinking that I was missing something like, like through the whole first two thirds of the movie, because I was like, I kept thinking is like, is, is her name Solange is cause I kept thinking, wait, do we know this girl's name? And is she Solange? Like how, what am I missing here? Because there was no Solange. And then and it wasn't until later on when the guy was like, the name gets brought up and then you're like, Oh wait, now he's searching for people named Solange. Oh, okay. You know? And then we find out that, Oh, there was a girl named Solange in a, in a high school that was, you know, whatever and so then finally it kind of comes to light so it's just i find it very funny that the the whole thrust of the title and like hassan's, hassan's point it's the most obviously titled film ever because when you finally get to the end you're like oh yeah well yeah, right that's what you know that's what you've done with salon <laughs> yes we now know what, yeah. what's been done to what's, salon. What's, yeah hassan, uh, hassan go ahead there's there's this weird part where they kind of give the whole movie away right in the beginning, where they where they <laughs> they have the faculty put together, and then they're going through the you know they're going through all the teachers or whatever, and then they have the priest. They just do the push in on the priest, and I'm like, okay, so that's him. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. no but there were they, because because the um oh there's a million the, red herrings in this movie. Yeah, but the 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 what's funny is it stays with that for quite a long time because everybody who witnesses like everyone's like it was a priest it was a guy who was, was just was, like a priest it was he was somebody just in a black habit right yeah so it's kind of and the and the and the father was disguised as a priest when so it wasn't it wasn't a priest but it was someone dressed as a yes. priest so it it's just kind of like all right like pay attention to this pay attention to this <laughs> and it was just one of the weirdest like why did you know, like, why did you do that? Because it, it's, it's just weird. It, it's great, but it's kind of weird. It's just, it's, it's, the movie itself is just telling you, look, man, just look over here. <laughs> look, look right here. There's gonna be a lot of boobs. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're still gonna love the ride. Just look right over here if you want to. It, it, it's gruesome. I've never seen, I've never seen that kind of, you know, that kind of situation depicted. In a in the in a seventies movie method before. of killing you, yeah, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's what, that's a that's how, a good one. How have I never heard of this movie before? Now you know, like, just to um, let you know, there's a there's a remake that's been in the works for a long time by Nicholas Winding Refn, who did. Drive. Oh, is he the one who's attached to it? I found the remake, but I couldn't find any information about who was who was yeah. involved with it. It's him and his production company to remake it, but. I can't imagine it's ever going to happen with the reason the movie exists and the, the style of killing, which I don't know if we should blow you on this podcast. It's so graphic. But um, it's, uh, uh, they got to change that. And if they change that, well, one, then what's the reason to, what have they done to it ties so <laughs> Right. It ties so directly to your main, your main, you know, thrust of the movie for lack of a better I think, term. Oh, I guess boy. It's Kevin could do it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when they when they do reveal like what's you know all the stuff that's been going on and you in, in they do the they do the twist on uh the victims basically that's kind of where it started to tie together for me like oh okay you know like because it i mean the the girls were kind of especially when you find out that that the um i don't know the names i'm i'm really bad the, the first girl was still a virgin right at least at least when it came to the, the teacher universe. 
so you're kind of like okay so that's even though he's cheating and she's, well, she was the third girl but that she's the first girl that you see in the film that she's in the boat oh i'm sorry yes yes okay so we, when they kind of give off the the aspect that she's she's somewhat virtuous and she's like been leading the guy on and he's you know he's got blue balls because he can't he can't get you know he can't get any love from her those italians and, yeah <laughs> and then you kind of figure all right we're gonna be following these two you know in this forbidden love kind of situation and she gets drowned and it's over like she's not in the film yeah. anymore. <laughs> you're like okay I don't know where we are now. And it kind of, even though it's, it's a, it's very strange uh, from a, from a Western, you know, uh, we're a friend of American. It's, it's all Western, but it's from an American um, point of view because they kind of paint him really badly in the very beginning. Not yeah. only is he a cheat and then not only is he, he's sleeping with a, you know, girl who eh, probably, she's probably just above underage. You know, he's, she's probably well, legal enough. She's like yeah. 18. They make a point about that. And the thing is that you're saying they're about saying that there's nothing wrong with sleeping with a college girl in and of okay. itself. Well, what I'm saying is that not only that, she, she does the, the, you know, she witnesses this horrible thing and she's freaked out and then he freaks out at her. You know, it's yeah. not one. Yeah. It's not what you see, you know, like the first, your first instinct as a normal person is like, okay, then what'd you see? And where'd you see it? Like, you know, so we could either go and check it out or avoid it 100%. And he just starts to, you know, to rip into her. So you, you kind of get an, he, uh, an, an antagonist vibe from him. And then, and then maybe 20 minutes later, it's like, Oh, he's our hero. <laughs> it's like we're, he's revealed to be the guy we're, we're going to follow this no how, fl- warts and all this guy is the one who's going to take us to the finish line so uh, um i thought that was uh i you thought know, it was yeah. uh, pretty interesting i will say that, the, that i'm sorry go ahead i was just going to say in the jello world comparatively to all the male heroes he's a freaking saint uh <laughs> Even though he's, you know, got got obviously things. I mean, you do still kind of root for the guy. I don't know why, because you're right. His character is is one of, of uh, doubt. But um, uh, but yeah, compared to George Hilton and and gosh, I don't know any any of the movies, Strange Vice and Mrs. Ward or something. You're like this this guy, Fabio Testi, is is the hero in on, on a high plane compared to some of the others. The the only the thing that kind of paints this uh, this is a situation a circumstance. I watched this right after Shiver, and oh, yeah. and it's like, oh, like it's, yeah. And then while while we're sitting there watching, I'm I'm watching it, and then we just got past Shivers, and then we're watching, you know, like underage sex on a boat. <laughs> I'm like, and then a girl gets murdered, um, in a in a in a in a terrible way, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> like, what this is gonna be? <laughs> Wait, this is this is. Yeah. This is part two. This is Shivers part two. So, but I mean, <laughs> this one was way more like a roller coaster ride of like, whoa, okay, that didn't didn't see that, and then it just kind of ends abruptly, you know. And it just it just without giving the ending away, it just stops. You know, the whole film just gets to a point, and then it just stops. Yeah, that's the other thing with a lot of Giallo films. They that that the end is the end. I mean, yeah, that's you get just, to the last thing, and then that's it. Credits roll, and you're done. There's yeah, get no out. get out of my theater. There's no big codas to those films. <laughs> Although this one has a sequel, so that's um, slightly unusual for it. Is that what they? What did you do? To, what did they do to your daughters? That is a sequel. 
it's uh, a sequel uh, without the same characters, but okay. it's uh, it's it's in the same world. It's like a sequel the way Avengers is a sequel to Thor or something. You know, it's uh, okay. Okay, got some overlap. Yeah, the universe of it. What have what have they done to their daughter to your daughters from two years later? I think. Right. Huh, yeah. All right. Never heard of the film before. Never got wind of the the, the film before. So I'm watching this completely like you know um it's completely new to me it's complete it's so that that in and of itself was was the worth the price of admission uh it's a crazy movie it's very obvious what the movie was made for as you say you know it's there's no tongue-in-cheek about it there's no there's no ambiguity about it whatsoever um but i but i did enjoy it i i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought the you know, and it, it kind of has that, that uh, as I, as Steve knows, I, I call it the um, the girl with the dragon tattoo effect. Because when you finally get to the, what all this was about, you're like, oh, all right, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess, you know, and it's got this really big, like, who's doing this and why? This is kind of, this is crazy. And then when you find out, you're like, oh, all right, I got you now. You know, I'm with it. And that's the kind of the dragon tattoo. Like it's got this great setup, and then when you find out what it is, it's like you're like, oh, it makes sense, <laughs> you know? Right. You're not, it's not like holy shit, this is blowing my mind open. You're just like, oh, I get you. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. That the, <laughs> the lid's back on the jar. Okay. Yeah, I see why you do that. You know? <laughs> I see why you. So, but I, but I, wow, I did like it. I would, and I, and it sounds like I'm knocking it. I, it, it was a kind of a, ca- a palate cleanser from Shivers, you know, because it was just, it was just way more straightforward and it was way less body horror, you know, there, oh, were, yeah. there were no, uh, you know, phallic slugs, you know, jumping into people or burning people's faces off. And so that was a, you know, although if that had happened in this film, I would have, it would have fit, you know, it, if it just popped up in the middle of this film, you'd be like, yeah, all right, I can see what that happened. And also the, the Italian, the blatantly Italian lead in the middle of London was a little, it was, it was jarring. You know, I'm like, what am I, wait, where, where are we in the world right now? The way they financed all these movies was they, um, they began by making them just in Italy and then they ran out of money. So they do (laughs) co-productions and they'd have to cast people and they'd have to put it in certain cities. So Christine Galbo is Spanish actress who was very big in the Spanish box office. Fabio Testi was very uh, big in, in Italian box office. And then, the people who gave them the money were British. So they, you know, it's, it became this mashup of stuff that could have been taking place anywhere. <laughs> By the way, I, Hassan, you reminded me of something. Um, I had never heard of Jallo, seen anything Jallo up till like 2006 or seven. I'd heard the name Dario Argento because he's associated with Dawn of the Dead. Um, but I'd, I'd really never seen any of his stuff. And I've told this story before. Uh, a, a friend of mine said, you haven't seen any Dario Argento. This is a huge gap in your resume you should you should check it out and i said okay i will so i watched this movie called trauma from 1983 or four and it's um giallo one of his later ones and i fucking hated it i thought it was terrible um so i I went back to uh my friend and i said um so i maybe i started with the wrong movie he's like yeah why'd you watch that you should watch suspiria so i went and i watched suspiria which is not a giallo it's a horror film but uh when i watched that i was like okay obviously classic great but at the same time it's so italian i'm just not with its rhythm i don't know yeah. it doesn't make any sense it's like a weird dream um 
And in the same way, the first time somebody experiences a David Lynch movie, even though it's not nearly at that weird level, but I, I was just like, this is, uh, uh, this is, I, I don't know if I liked it. And, and so I went back to my friend and I said, okay, now I've seen a good one. I'm intrigued, but I don't know if I loved it. And he said, you, you know what you should do? You're a mystery guy. Um, who likes horror, but you're really a mystery guy. Why don't you check out all of his mysteries? Uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Deep Red are good ones to start with. Deep so Red. I watched those two and, and hell yes. I finally was not only able to say those were better films because they are, um, uh, although I don't know if they're better than Suspiria. They're at that level and different reasons, but they were, you know, they're just so goddamn Italian, you know, that when you're yeah. watching it, you're like, I don't understand what I'm watching, but now that I've seen more of them, now I, yeah. I like the Italianness of it. I think that is, it's like watching through a weird, it's like when you first get into Japanese films or something, you know, it's just like the culture barrier is there and it just yeah. takes you a little bit more to break through it and really understand. Yep. Yeah, I think with Argento, his two most accessible films are probably uh, Deep Red and uh, Tenebrae. I think that those two with, with Tenebrae with Jennifer Connelly. Uh, actually, that's phenomena, but Tenebrae is good too. Yeah, phenomena. Uh, also knows phenomena, but is, is what's that's the what's what's the alternate title to phenomena? Creepers. Ah, that's, creepers. That's okay. With Donald Pleasance and the bugs and everything. Right, 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 right. Yes, but uh, uh, yeah, great. the the I I meant phenomena. Sorry, but uh, um, as far as accessibility goes, because yeah, I felt I felt very much the same way. I think I might have seen Suspiria first as well when it comes to Dargento or Argento, and it in like you said, it's like it's like it's so hyper stylized to an extent that when you finally find out what you're what the movie's actually about, you're just you're kind of you're kind of taken aback for a second because you're just like, how do we get here? And then all yeah. of a sudden you find out that it's about a bunch of witches, and you're like what how why what you know like i mean it's like a it's like the dust till dawn turn you know and like i have not just... i have not seen yet luca guadagnino's remake but i've heard amazing things about it and i have not seen it because go ahead it's good is it yeah, it's real good yeah okay. um it's it's three and a half hours long or something and yeah. i'm a little i got a bone to pick with its last 30 minutes uh but it's it's equally stylized and equally unique and equally dreamlike, but completely different. It is a, it it is only related in the fact that it's uh, dance school and witches. That's the in the title. Gotcha. That's it. Gotcha. Okay, uh, Latham. Uh, to your guys' points, uh, I you know as far as the giallo genre, I I have only seen two films in it before seeing this one, and one was Suspiria. So you know. As Darren's saying, it's more that's more just a horror film. The original, the original, right? Okay, I mean, but, and what was the other one? Uh, so the other one is opera. And oh, okay. opera, you know, again, it's highly stylized, but I, I guess in what Darren's saying, that you have to like, I don't know, acclimate yourself to the culture of this film genre and by only seeing two films, I don't, I just don't know if I get it yet. And I think that's probably why I didn't enjoy this that much. I mean, I, I appreciate some of the stuff in it. I appreciate the story. I think the story is interesting, but maybe it's something got lost in the screenplay or how it's presented. I, you know, I read up on this a little bit as far as the exploitation you know, a lot of people thought this is just pure exploitation, but 
being part of this genre, it's supposed to be that way. So where do you draw that line? And I, I just, a lot of this just didn't really entertain me that much. I mean, a couple of the murders were, you know, pretty shocking and unique and, and that's, that's cool and all. And as a film fan, that's that, you know, I like, I like seeing unique ideas and, and stuff like that. I just, I need the story to be, or I should say the screenplay to be more connective. And this one, I didn't, I, it just felt disjointed to me. Some of the editing uh, as well. And I, I, again, I, I, I want to judge it fairly. And I don't think I've seen enough Giallo movies to, to judge it that fairly. And maybe I need to see more and maybe Darren can point me in the right direction or already has probably with, with what he suggested or what he's, you know, as what he's told that he's seen. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I just, it, it, it didn't resonate with me and I didn't, uh, by the time you find out what's really going on, I, I, I just, I wasn't that interested anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it, it's a, a weird way to put it because, you know, they're trying to shock you in many different ways before that happens. And, uh, I don't know, it just, it didn't, you know, I, it's it's good and all and fine. I, I just I di I didn't love it. I to, to be honest. I really feel bad for Hassan having watched this back to back with Shivers. I know that uh, when <laughs> Latham and I were talking about films, you know, we're like, okay, well maybe we can thematically pair these because I, I had a couple other pairings that might be good, and these are um, an interesting two sides to a coin because they really are about perversion. Yeah. Uh, you know, in different ways. One is sort of a biological sort of manifestation and the other is more of a cultural manifestation of perversion. But I can understand that if the content is not driving you in another way and you've just got the exploitation film elements of it, that it might ring a little empty. I can, I can see that point. Right. And, 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 and this is another, maybe another weird thing I was thinking about when was this released in the U.S., if at all, like way down the line? Because, or, you know, when and how was it released? Do you know, Darren? May of 72, it came out. In the U.S. So, yeah, it, it played on TV. Um, it didn't play in theaters in the U.S., but it played on TV. It got a huge release. As a matter of fact, a 70 millimeter release in Europe, and it was quite a hit. But in the U.S., it um, played on you know, uh, TV shows, uh, TV, uh, afternoon movie marathons, highly edited. Yeah, highly um, edited. And, <laughs> you know, and it didn't, um, it didn't make much of an impression. It really, really wasn't even regarded as like it is now, uh, much more favorably until the late nineties when it started to appear on video cassette and people got copies of it because they had heard the title, they had heard about it. They knew Massimo Delamano who shot, um, uh, some Clint Eastwood Westerns. Right. And, um, they were, um, uh, you know, Ennio Morricone started to come into the fore and people were often remarking on this is one of his best Jallo scores, which I agree. And uh, yeah, it really wasn't until it started to appear on VHS and then later, I don't know if it had a laser disc, but now it's, you know, it's on beautiful uh, Blu-ray box editions from Arrow. And so now it's got quite the treatment with lots of documentary yeah. commentaries. It took a long time. A long time. Yeah, I just uh, I was just thinking about the context of it. The for the last third of the story, you know, coming out in 1972, 1973 in the U.S. That's I don't want to like give away you know to any listeners what 
you know, some of the uh, plot points at the end, but that would be a very difficult time for this to come out, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, and in Europe, although they had laxer standards and different ratings, um, you know, really the, the the plot, the main thing it turns on is very controversial. What, I'm yeah, really surprised to, yeah. Yeah, that it would be made uh, even then. Uh, both these films, I mentioned this, uh, I think in the past to each of you over email, I can't imagine them being made as they are now, Shivers or this one, in yeah. this way. They they are more extreme than a modern audience is for used sure. to. For sure, for sure. It, it, yeah. not only in terms of just bloodshed because that that's everywhere but uh in terms of content i just don't blunt. picture people very yeah blunt yeah it's it's uh both of these films neither of them i think are are harmful and i don't think either of them are um um without artistic merit but both of them are button pushers and i just can't imagine them really connecting with a mass audience today. yeah there's social commentary that you could take out of the end of this movie and you know yeah, I can't imagine in 1972 or 73 in the U.S. I mean, you're just asking for fights outside the movie theater. So, <laughs> I mean, that's maybe I'm maybe I'm looking a little bit too much into the context, but I was thinking about that too. When it when it comes to modern, yeah, I know you were asking about it, Leigh. I, I would actually suggest to you, as far as it, especially approaching Dargento's work. Yeah. I would actually go, I would go in reverse. I would work from his more modern stuff and work your way backwards. Okay. Like you, you saw opera, but I would watch, I would watch, you know, well now, so now opera is part of a trilogy. Um, right. So there's mother of tears, which I believe is the third one in the, uh, in the trilogy. Actually it's Inferno and uh, it's Suspiria, Inferno and, uh, uh, Mother of Tears that are the trilogy. Okay, okay. Opera, opera though, is a kind of a return to form movie for him because he had basically said, I'm never making another giallo. <laughs> and, then, and they did. I don't know. Seven, eight years later, he's like, all right. So he made opera. <laughs> that made it. lasted. Yeah. But opera, opera is weird. Um, I like opera, but it's obviously about opera. So if you're not into opera, there's a shit ton <laughs> of opera in it. Um, so that's something to think about. But um it's really well photographed and pretty interesting, very graphically violent. But the last 30 minutes, I don't, I still don't know what the fuck is going on <laughs> in that last. So I, I but I, I do really like Deep Red. But if you're looking for something that's a little leaner, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is regarded as maybe. That's a good one. Maybe that and Blood and Black Lace from 1964, I think. Um, those, those are probably the two number one cited giallo movies so the bird with the crystal plumage is a weird title but um it's oh, a it's, lot of those are the four flies on gray velvet i mean yeah, you know iguana with a tongue of fire i like cat of nine tails too cat of nine tails is a really good carl malden mystery um, it's my daughter's favorite movie actually she we went and saw it even in <laughs> 15 millimeter one time here in town it's uh it's very watchable you could the murders in Cat and Nine Tales are are fairly gentle, and so if you're introducing someone younger to Giallo, that's a good one to start with because it reads more like um, sort of a more arty Columbo episode, but it's very good Columbo episode. Okay, so. that's good. that's a good one. Good advice. A bird with a crystal plumage isn't that violent. It does have one one particularly violent scene though, so that's caution there. But Deep Red has several violent murders in it, and is. Yeah fucking awesome so uh <laughs> beware and i was always i was a big fan of stendhal syndrome just because i was uh, i was absolutely in love with uh, argento's daughter aja so yeah she's what are you gonna a, do 
he's quite uh, good in all of his films. Yeah. And uh, she's in um, Great Jeopardy and all of them. I can't imagine directing my daughter in that way. Those are yeah. quite a few. Yeah. So. And, not af- and not afraid to lose her clothing. Yes, that is true. Trauma, trauma too. I don't know how old she was in there. She, she must have been 18 or above, but she's just barely. Yeah. So definitely, uh, uh, you know, the European sensibility is quite different in that regard, though. So right. I try not to judge it too harshly. And plus, growing up with him being your father, I'm sure you were introduced to a whole different world of things, you know, much earlier than, you know, you know, I'm sure I'm sure she saw a lot of his films way ahead of when she probably should have. And she was, you know, well, she was mature beyond her years. Let's say let's say that. But uh, but anyway, yeah, um, it was fun to do a uh, to do. Uh, and uh, one of these Italian Jello films, because uh, I don't know, I don't know how many of them we'll get a chance to actually run across in our adventures on this show. Because I just don't think that uh, there's. I only have a few, a few guests who would even think to pick something from this genre. I have a really good friend of mine who I had on in the month of October, mm-hmm. who's a real, real big serious horror guy, and uh, he might, he might go down that road. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff he likes um eventually one day but uh this was uh this was uh a lot of fun especially like i like i said before you got on you know any opportunity to to see movies that especially ones i've never heard of before yeah. that are yeah. are within a genre that i purportedly am a fan of is always going to be interesting to me so yeah both were worth, yeah. definitely worth seeing yeah and any chance to watch a cronenberg film or any reason to watch a cronenberg film that i haven't seen yet I'm definitely down for. I do like your adventurous spirit on this podcast. That's one of the things. <laughs> so from there, I guess we should probably take a little trip. Well, you know where that trip leads to. I do, Latham. And that trip is down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. <laughs> so from there, we will find out what happened to Solange. No, what, what did, yeah. Okay. Via posters. Um, these I did not bother to number because this was initially a, uh, a foreign release. So I just, uh, I just went ahead and left them alphabetical by country. So we'll kind of come across them as we come across them. So first up's Argentina. It's, uh, some, just a, you know, a, t- a typical, typically European poster of the time where it's just kind of a mashup of images from the film and with, uh, what looks a little bit of, of paint retouching, uh, especially on, on Fabio Testi's face. There's like a little bit of smoothness there that doesn't look like it was natural but um i can just tell you that that picture of the the woman taped mouth um that is the cover of the soundtrack album however ah. there's no there's no red splotch uh-huh. ah gotcha gotcha uh next is a fully painted uh poster from belgium huh so these are the kind of posters uh, you often see in zombie retrospectives, like Tombs of the Blind Dead or something would have right. these kind of horror uh, type of detailed paintings. And uh, if you buy a book like Book of the Dead or zombie movies uh, uh, that are like pictorial history of, of a certain genre of horror film, you'll see it like a coffee table book, just hundreds of these paintings. And you just think about the brilliance of the artists that did them and how you know they were of the time. And so now they're all out of work and it's all Photoshopped big heads, but they really put tons of effort in here. That's yeah. why when I go under the table, 
and to work with a, a, a painter to, to, uh, to really, you know, get in the zone of this artwork. Cause if, and the same thing with Phantom soundtracks, we did several painted covers. It was really uh, important to us to invest and you'll see publishers like, uh, uh, Oh geez. What's the Joyland by Stephen King. What's the name of that? Hard case crime. Hard they, case crime. Yep. Yeah. They brought back a lot of this style and I absolutely I've always loved it. You know, it's a, it's a risk. To, to hire somebody to basically make a work of art for you. But as a poster, I, I wish they'd bring it back at least somewhat because they're always so, so they stand out and they'd certainly stand out in today's Photoshop world. There's a series of, uh, of tabloid sized um, soft covers uh, that have come out that are collections of the Italian artists of the 60s, 70s and 80s horror films. Uh, and it collects their poster art. Um, that if you, and, and it's all done by their, by the artist names. If you do a search on Amazon, they're real simple to find. Um, the, the first one I believe is out of print. So most of the prices are kind of ridiculous, but the, the second and third volumes are both still, uh, in print and available. Um, really, really. And they're, they're exactly what you're talking about. They're that they're the European versions of like the guys who used to hand paint movie posters for, you know, the U S market, but they, you know, they were all for like the. Uh, you know, like for the, the British and Italian horror films and stuff. And they're just, they're absolutely gorgeous. I love this type of illustration. The, the, the brilliant thing, I, I'm a little sad that it misleads you into thinking it's perhaps a, a rape plot, but the, uh, the fact that there's that question mark there, that's yeah. kind of superimposed. That's, pretty that's cool. Yep. Yeah. I, I just noticed that by the way, when I, when I, when I opened this and looked at it this way before I, I, I noticed that that was a question mark and I'm now wondering going back one. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, so next is a uh, French DVD cover. And this is, this is super like, you know, playing into the, the Giallo aesthetic. Oh yeah. Black gloves. Black gloves. Big eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> eyeball. Blood droplet knife. Although it does, if you know, if you realize, you know, that's kind of giving some things away here. You think? <laughs> Uh, so next is, uh, was the original Italian poster. I always like this. This is the cover of the DVD from, uh, Arrow as well. Yes. I always like this cause it reminds me of Halloween. And I wonder if the Halloween mm. poster is slightly inspired by this process, maybe not this poster of sort of, um, uh, repeating an image to make another image. Right. I like yeah, that. It'd be an interesting, uh, the uh, a question for the guy who who did that original painting. He's still around. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, the guy That's... who painted the original, the, the original painting actually went up for auction on it at heritage um, about two, two and a half years ago. Uh, went for far less than I would have expected. Wow. Well, it's a brilliant work. Yeah. Um, and so next is uh, another Italian poster. It's a variation. It's uh, a photographic interpretation as opposed to a painted one. I like um, uh, the IIF logo. That's a very cool logo. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, whatever the uh, the Italian international film. Yeah. Uh, next was uh, another Italian. I don't know if this is the same artist, but this is very Suspiria. Yes, yeah, just you know, monochromatic with a with a dash of red. This definitely, this definitely would would draw people into who didn't know would, would know that it's a, you know, part of that Giallo family, you know, or, or at least appeal to them. 
mm-hmm. I think I think again, I think going into it with from a po- from this poster, I think going into it, you might be a little let down. I think you'd be expecting a little more, little maybe a little more. I don't know. I'd say a little more violence, but you know, a little more horrific, horrific, horrificality, horrificness, <laughs> a little more, a little more horror. It seems more like a horror film than a mystery, which yeah. it really was kind of more of a mystery suspense. Yeah, By the I way, uh, the definition that is always pitched about it is a suspense film is a film where you don't know who the bad guy is and you're trying to figure it out. So this would be a suspense movie. A thriller is like Die Hard, where you know who the bad guy is and it's cat and mouse. So that's yeah. really oh, different. interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, the... Uh... Very vaguely break apart the Italian, like you're saying, the, the the sort of action crime films versus the more horror bent of the of the sort of over over encompassing giallo stuff. There's a there's a a version of the the police ones or the or the more criminal more crime based ones that they would call uh, poliziotechi or poliziotesky or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which are the more sort of I think what, to what you're saying more of the like crime or action style films versus you know a, with something with a more of a uh, or a horror or a you know a, a serial killer kind of thing and you guys might know this there was a third what have you done to solange there was what have you done to solange what have they done to your daughters and then there was a movie called rings of fear um massimo mm-hmm. dalamano was killed in a car crash while or right before making that so somebody else took over and they, it, it is less like the other two. It is more of a Plisiotesky, uh, kind of a Dirty Harry cop film. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did see that there was one last film off a screenplay that he had written that he did not direct that came out later. So um, Yeah, he killed, got killed at 59 or something in a car crash. Seems to be a lot of car crash deaths in Italy. So beware. Well, look at the cars they were driving and they, they drive insanely. So that's to be expected. Uh, so next we have the, uh, fourth Italian poster, which is, I'm guessing, uh, Elizabeth in the tub. I've never quite understood this one. It's often used. Um, uh, it's actually the, uh, the soundtrack on Spotify, not the vinyl has this image. Oh, okay. Never quite, never quite understood it. Um, yeah, it's a I don't little think it's little... very attractive either. No, know. and a little abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next we have, um, so this was, I couldn't find the exact country for this one, but it was definitely for the, because of the type of Spanish it's using in the title. Um, it was uh, a more South American Spanish than a actual Spain Spanish, the, the type of uh, the kind of the verbiage itself. So uh, I'm not exactly sure which country this is for, but it's uh, for a South American release. Uh, again, the random piece of white draped across the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like two. Hard, uh, I like the eggs. Uh, <laughs> that that and the bingo card that uh, that you know the killer is using. Yeah, that I like. That's fun. You could uh, you could yeah. have marketed that with the uh, DVD release and people. That's right. Had to make sure that Solange is circled. Right. So to to keep the killer aware that he's actually searching for that one and not wanting to cross that one off. You don't want to accidentally find Solange and kill her. Whoops. (laughs) I got to start this list Uh all over again. Uh oh. (laughs) Uh, Next is uh, is a Spanish film or a Spanish poster. It's like a book cover almost. 
Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't really seem to have much to do with the film. Yeah. Just generic. Yeah, like like they had Woman it lying around. Carol, it was a stock image they had lying around, and we're like, eh, this will work. Yeah. Yeah, there's a woman tied up. She's in, like you said, is in peril. Yeah. <laughs> it fits. Uh, so next is the is the Arrow video Blu-ray cover. I mean, that's great. I think yeah, that's really great. My only beef with it is I did see this in the rack and I didn't know it was that movie because the title's huh? a little hard to read. Yeah, yeah that's do, true. But what this is one if you know the movie, you love it. So yeah, if you can read the title. Yeah, I the mean, verbiage is bad. That's like that's like uh, graphic design one hundred and one is readability. But right, all of the uh, all of the Arrow things have reversible covers. They have new art, uh, which I'll show you on the camera here. So this is the new art that you're displaying, and then yep. they have old art, and you can switch it out. Uh, to exactly, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Arrow Arrow is uh, Arrow is well ahead of the curve. Uh, as far as uh, their video releases over in the UK, for sure. Hmm. And uh, and that's it. I uh, there just wasn't anything around for Solange. It's you know, like like I said, I had never heard of the film beforehand. Um, what have you done with Solange's poster? Could have been mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have uh, if I'd had a, if I had had a little more time, I could have talked to a few of our artists and had them whip something up. <laughs> Hassan, weren't you going to be the official uh, poster guy for, uh, for for movies that we couldn't find a lot of posters for? Yeah, but you got to tell me. That's how that works. I know. I, know. <laughs> I well, listen. I, did, I just did the poster the poster search I did on Tuesday, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have known anyway. Um, so, all right. Uh, well. That uh, usually marks uh, the end of our show. Uh, so, uh, Darren, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, uh, appreciate you taking the time to to hang out with us and talk about movies. Um, and we'll we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely we'll talk down the road about other things, and uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely have you back. Yeah, thank we need you. Another so pairing, Darren. Yeah, well, thank you so much for indulging the pair of perversion I foisted upon you. You were all there. <laughs> right. That was a great idea. It was smart. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to talk films anytime, and you guys have a great show. I really love it, thank and you. I think uh, your audience loves it too. And um, I'm excited to keep listening to further episodes. I've enjoyed the, all the ones I have heard. Wow. Well, thank, thank, thanks a lot. I definitely appreciate that. I praise, Karen. Thank you. So, uh, thanks to Fusley and Music. Uh, please check out our website at uh, cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Lathan Conger III, Darren Callahan, and myself, we say thank you and so much for listening. As always, in the words of our friend, and body horror specialist Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.